folks and welcome back to the Norwood Noise. It is Wednesday, October 25th here uh, and it's time for a little 2023-2024 season preview. Graham, the college basketball season is really is just around the corner. We were just talking about before the hopping on to record. Uh, Monday, Monday this week was two weeks out from the season. So um, Graham, how are we feeling? How's Cincinnati? How's the vibe? Um, you know, in a and obviously a college basketball center there in Cincinnati. How are, how are we feeling getting ready for the season? I think it's um, there's a lot of like um, excitement. Um, it's I think it's similar to the excitement that we had last year. That last year, you know, you coming off like the NIT win, then you have Sean Miller and a bunch of the new guy, bunch of the guys back. So it was like, oh, this is what we had, but we're gonna be a lot better. So there's that excitement. But then this year, I think it's like. We don't know what we're getting, but we're so excited to see it. Um, I think like the the buzz is about the same. So you know the season was two weeks away, um, as of yesterday. So we're less than two weeks away from kicking off our season against Robert Morris. Um, and it just like the in, uh, just like last year that you go from uh, you play two non conference games and then you're right into the mix. We played Indiana last year. We played Purdue in our third game this year on the road. So I'm really excited to uh, start the season here. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't couldn't echo it more. Even from an outside perspective, this year, or at least for this first half of the year, for me, um, obviously very excited as well. Can't wait to get the season underway. Um, speaking of Purdue, let's let's hop right in. We're gonna do some conference previews. We're gonna go conference by conference, um, and then we got a couple other headlines we got to touch on as well. But let, let's start right away with the Big Ten. Um, Purdue and Michigan State are the you know kind of obvious teams that. People are looking at as the favorites. Um, obviously, Purdue returns a lot of key pieces, most notably Zach Eady, um, kind of being your uh, reigning, you know, player of the year. Um, and Graham, I guess I'll just turn to you, kind of right away. Is Zach Eady going to run it back and win not only the big the Big Ten Player of the Year, but do you think he's going to win the uh, National Player of the Year again this year? Yeah, I think um, when you, you're in National Player of the Year contention, there's two things that you look at: is individual performance in big games and um, team success and I think he's going to have that they're going to be playing with a lot of fire to start their season and all their non-conference games um, I think that he's going to really you know show that hey hey I'm here you know we are a better team than that finish that we had last year so I think he's going to have a lot of really big games early and I think that Purdue's the best team on paper in the Big Ten this year uh, returning a lot of their you know main guys so I think they're going to be just as good um, in the regular season as they were last year, and Zach Eady's going to be unbelievable to start. Um, he's my preseason favorite win player of the year um, because of those two reasons. 
Yeah, absolutely. Totally makes sense. Um, and I would agree with you. I think that Edie is definitely the, the preseason player of the year. Um, and obviously I would say Purdue is probably the favorite to win the Big Ten um, to start the season. And I think they will hold off Michigan State, but I think it's going to be a really narrow race. Um, I really like what Dizzo's done here in the offseason. There's a lot of fun things to look at um, in that side. Um, and I definitely think that even though only being a seven seed last year, um, this Michigan State team has you know much bigger things kind of on their horizon this year. Um, I think there's a lot of really fun players to watch with them. Xavier Booker, um, their big man is kind of the you know in that in that conversation as someone to really keep an eye on. Um, also notably, uh, or worth noting here uh, within this league, um, it, it is worth noting and taking a look at. There's a couple big hot seats here, uh, you know, coming into this season, and for two pretty big brands and big, uh, you know, big names as well. Um, at least personally, I see both Michigan and Ohio State as hot seat-ish or hot seat adjacent, I guess I would say, schools. Um, you've got Chris Holman at Ohio State, had a really great start to his career there at Ohio State, but since then has kind of faltered, so definitely something to keep an eye on there, um, Ohio State-wise. Uh, and then and then Michigan, I think, Jawan Howard, I, I don't think he's necessarily in a, in a true hot seat year unless they have a really, really poor year. Um, but... I hate to say mediocre, but I think that Michigan, since the Beeline era, has just kind of faded into this, you know, meh, like kind of giving me like a, almost like a Florida feel in the SEC now, you know, coming off this golden era where they had a lot of success, um, you know, you kind of can just chalk them up as like, yeah, they're going to finish about 500 in the league. They'll probably maybe sneak into the tournament somewhere around there just because they're a Big Ten team and they're going to have a decent strength of set, strength schedule and things like that. They're going to have some great individual talents, um, but obviously nothing really, you know, program or, you know, life-changing for a lot of these players or, or really for Jawan Howard. Um, so, Graham, t- you know, tell me where you're at on those two. Do you think, you know, one, uh, neither or both of those teams will have new coaches or at least be looking at it at the end of the season this year. I think Ohio State um, definitely needs to look at their case with uh, Holtman because they were so good for a few years, but then they didn't have much tournament success, notably losing to a 15 seed that Oral Roberts year. Um, and then last year they were really, really abysmal. Um, and I think that for their case – his goal is an improvement. It's getting back to the tournament, and that's going to be very difficult for them. Um, and I think uh, he has a really good recruiting class, and he's known as a good recruiter. But if you're not bringing, you know, bringing those guys in and then succeeding on the court, they're definitely going to look at um, their future with him. Um, and then additionally to that, with him, Michigan. Um, I don't think Jawan Howard is as bad because they've had good success. That they've had better success than they've had with Holtman. Um, but at the same time, like there was a lot of buzz when Jawan Howard got there that this was a you know this is a guy that's going to get you to the Final Four, um, contend for Big Ten championships, and you lose out on Hunter Dickinson, who's probably one of the best players that they've had. Like that's not a g- good look. Like, uh, with the buzz of the transfer portal, I think it's always, like, it's not that good of a look if your best players are transferring to a similar level. Now, obviously, Kansas is a better program um, by far, 
but you know you're losing them into another big six conference team yeah and i don't think that's a good look for um his program um and they definitely need to fill that void because that was one of the best players in college basketball the past few seasons yeah absolutely couldn't agree more i yeah i think uh both those cases are gonna be really interesting ones to watch kind of going into this year um and then the other you know my other big storyline i know you're gonna you know sam a little crazy for this but we were talking about it earlier a couple weeks ago um I think there's some fun sneaky teams here that you could look at that might be sneaky. I think, you know, Northwestern returning Boo Booey. Um, and it looks like he's probably going to become the all-time leading scorer at that program this year. Um, he's got a really good chance to be kind of a key figure. Um, I think Iowa could be kind of sneaky. I know we, you know, they're losing out on the Murray brothers. Um, obviously with their time passing, excuse me. Um, but I, I am interested to see. I think they've got some really good death. Depth, obviously, uh, coach's son Patrick McCaffrey, um, you know, will be will be back and and will be kind of leading that that veter- veteran core. And I think, I mean, this is something that Graham, obviously, you and I have seen a lot throughout kind of the theme of college basketball, you know, over the last few years. But you know, relying on veteran cores has become a really really important thing. I mean, the sport has only gotten older uh, and relied more and more on experience. And I think Iowa could be a sneaky team to look at there. And then my other one that I just I love for whatever reason is this Nebraska team. Uh, I I really do believe in Hoiberg. Maybe it's the you know mid twenty tens like Big Twelve fan of me for just being stuck watching Fred Hoiberg Iowa State teams just absolutely light up um, everyone in the Big Twelve. But I just think that I mean, granted, he's probably getting close to a hot seat year if it's not this year. Um, but I just think that he could be sneaky. And if you remember, they kind of came off the end of. Um, last regular season with a lot of good upside. I think they won three or four in a row, beat some really good teams. Um, and now they're, now we're looking at uh, the Kaisei uh, Tomananga um, addition for uh, Nebraska and really his um, kind of growth over last year and this year as well. Um, last year he was averaging 55.7% shooting uh, in those uh, in that final stretch of games. Um and he was averaging about 20 points a game. So, yeah, I just think that um, he's a really fun player to watch. I think they have a lot of sets that are designed around him uh, and his ability to shoot. Um, so, yeah, I think that Nebraska could be a sneaky team as well um, overall. But I do think that for the most part, they will, you know, those kind of teams will realistically end up towards the bottom. Um, the only other thing we do have to uh, take note of um, is. Uh, uh, Indiana's uh, star freshman um, was arrested on two misdemeanor charges just a couple days ago. Mackenzie Mbako um, originally was a Duke commit, decommitted, uh, looked between Kansas and Indiana, Indiana, ended up in Indiana, and he's projected to be a starter this year. Um, and obviously he's now been booked with a couple of charges. I mean, who knows? It, it sounds like it was um, it was like a, a criminal trespassing was the was the final say. Um, on those charges, and we haven't heard anything out of the Indiana basketball program, so just keep an eye on that one because um, that really could really shake up the the Indiana the, this Indiana roster coming into the season. So, all right, Graham, what what do you got for us? Where are we going from the Big Ten? Uh, for the Big Ten? No, from the Big Ten. Sorry, where what, what conference uh, okay. are we going to next? Uh, moving <laughs> into the SEC. Um, there's a lot of buzz oh, good stuff. around um, Texas A&M right now, and I am not high on them. Um, really? Because 
for one big reason is there's a lot of um there's a lot of buzz around when a team returns a lot of the players that they're going to be so much better and for me um you can't always bank on everyone getting better and the team getting better if you're returning everyone because you're returning the same team that wasn't that good um so they're a three loss team in the SEC last year. No, I'm saying like they it, they they weren't like, you know, one of the best teams in the country. While they were very good no, that's and, true. and they, you know, you made it to the NCAA tournament. Um I still don't think that like this team's going to win the SEC. I think that they they will finish high because I mean, you are bringing back a lot of the best players and Wade Taylor was unbelievable and I think he's going to be just as good. But I don't. So you just don't. You just don't believe in Buzz Williams, is what I'm getting. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think that they are going to be um, the best team in the SEC, as some people are saying. Um, my my two race. Uh, I think there's a two race um, for the title between Tennessee and Arkansas. Um, I really like the Arkansas team. You're returning. Um, you know, some of your your better players. You're not. You're not getting everyone back. Um, but they did well in the portal, bringing in um, L. Ellis and Davenport from UC. Um, Khalif Battle is very good, um, and uh, Tra- Trayvon uh, Brazil, Brazil, uh, Brazil, Brazil yep. um, was one of their leading scores last season before he went down with an injury. That I think really uh, changed the trajectory of their team. Um, you know, he was giving you, you know, 12 and 6 and playing super high minutes. Um, and now that he's going to be 100%, 100% healthy to start the season, I think if he could play a full season with them, um, I think that they will finish higher than they were last year. And I think they'll have even more success in the tournament um, because everyone that watched that Arkansas-UConn game knew that that was UConn's game to win. They were just on fire, lights out. They played one of the most unbelievable um, tournament runs that we've seen in recent history. Um, I think if Arkansas was on a different side of the bracket, they could have done a lot more. Um, obviously, that's a hypothetical. They weren't able to do a lot more, but I still think that I'm really high on what Musselman's doing over there. And then Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is, I think, the best team no, like um Question marks, no. What ifs? I think that they are undoubtedly the best team in the SEC, and it's not a surprise that a lot of teams are picking them um, to be. Would one. you say that j- just on paper wise, like you think on paper Tennessee is the best team in the SEC? Yes, I, I think so. Um, okay. And they have a kind of a s- similar situation as Arkansas did. Um, this is a guy Ziegler um, going down mm-hmm. um, yeah. in February, um, which altered their season as well. Um, they really struggled down the stretch. Um, and I think that the Zakai Ziegler versus um, Brazil um, injuries, I think that the Ziegler has more weight. So getting him back means more than getting back Brazil. And that's why I think that their injury question mark um, is not as cemented um, as Arkansas's. Um, down the line, um, you know, you have Alabama and Auburn and Kentucky, and I think that those teams are kind of on this the same same um, tier. Um, you know, on who's going to be like the best team outside of the first three that I named. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that 
Calipari has a lot to do this season. Um, every year. Yeah, I was gonna say, where where are you at on his on his coaching status? I mean, it he hasn't. I mean, it's been I can't remember how long it's been since they made a Final Four, but um, God, what's it been? Has it been was it fifteen? Uh, yeah, sixteen. It was somewhere. It was I, in that early I think 20, it's eight or mid tens. I think I saw it, it was eight Oof. years. Um. Yeah, so like, is that concerning? Like, where are we at on Kentucky? Like, I mean, Big Blue Nation, you know, they're they're obviously ride ride high for their guys, but and I think what's kind of changed for me around that, at, at least from my perspective, is a lot of the um, conversation about uh, Calipari bringing in you know these number one recruiting classes every year. That's awesome, but he hasn't. It, it was working for a long time, um, you know, to consistently be winning games and competing at the highest level of sport, but. That that really hasn't been the story anymore. So are are you concerned for his job security at the end of this year? Um, I think that they I don't think that Kentucky has the brass to um to ever fire him. You know, he's one of the highest paid coaches. He's done a tremendous things for their program. Not that Kentucky was a bad program by any means when he arrived there, but um he's taken them to another level, multiple final fours. Um you look at the NBA, there's a zillion guys that are from Kentucky right now. I just think that his style of building a roster um is not like any other that we're seeing in the country. I mean, every team that we've talked about in the SEC so far, um you're talking about who they're bringing back and um, how this guy from injury is going to be better, and this guy was so good last year, and he's going to be so good. And then you get to Kentucky, and are like, are you going to like spend five, ten minutes talking about Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell? No, you're going to talk about like all their freshmen that they're bringing in, one of the best recruiting class um, with uh, Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner. Um, I think that they have a really good recruiting class, and they have a balanced class. But um, I don't know if that roster-building style is sustainable um, in this day and age of college basketball. No, absolutely. I I would completely agree. Um, I think that Kentucky's just kind of in a weird spot there. Um, It would obviously be interesting to see how Alabama comes out of the the Brandon Miller era um, and see if Nate Oates can really take that next step into into longevity. And then, yeah, Auburn has just been an oddball. Ever since their... Um, it was that Final Four in 18, I think, right? 19. Uh, against Texas Tech, yeah. 19, yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, just ever since then, they've kind of just been in this weird space where it's like, you know, they have some really good years, they have some really mediocre years, and, and just not a lot of consistency out of Bruce Pearl. So interested to see what, uh, what's, you know, what the, that season looks like there for Auburn. Um, any other big topic, talking points there in the SEC, Graham? Yeah, um, I... I talked about, you know, my tiers of um, A&M, Tennessee, and Arkansas, and then Kentucky, Alabama, Auburn. And then I think that it's just like an odd ball of like they could be in the bottom half or they might succeed expectations. Mississippi State, Missouri, and Florida um, were all very interesting teams last season that just couldn't um, – couldn't really get over the hump, but that's what you expect when you have a new coach. And I think that um, their ceilings with their coaching ability is extremely high. Um, and Missouri, Dennis Gates has done a good job recruiting and getting players in the portal. Um, uh, Caleb Grill from Iowa State is like a big question mark if he can be very good after all the, the weird situation that he had at Iowa State. 
Um, Todd Golden, I think, is a very good coach. He brought in a lot of um, players into the portal. Um, and Ole Miss is a pretty much completely new team. Um, like, they are very, like, Xavier-esque, I'd say, um, bringing in players from Auburn, Oklahoma State, St. Peter's, Georgetown, Western Kentucky, like, I think all those teams, like, it's a very low floor because, you know, you're bringing in a lot of new guys, but it's also a high ceiling because, um, like, what are you going to be able to do um, if you succeed? And then there's also LSU, Vanderbilt, Georgia, South Carolina, which, uh, Yeah. Well, I think we're missing one in there. Are we going to – any discussion about Ole Miss? I mean, obviously bringing in Chris Beard. Um, are they an oddball? Are they – you know, where, where are we at on Beard and Ole Miss? I think Ole Miss is in the similar category that Florida and Missouri were in last year. Of like, you're bringing in a new coach, and if you do great, awesome. Make the tournament cool. But I don't think that he has a lot of expectations um, yeah. this season. But I think that they will be under a watchful eye due to his situation at Texas last season. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, we'll roll from the from the SEC. We'll head back west. We're gonna we're gonna take a stop in the Big Twelve. Um, obviously, lead storyline as it usually is most years in the Big Twelve. Kansas uh, is back. They've reloaded. Shocker. Um, a really good class coming in. Um, obviously, we talked about last time, but obviously, dismissal of Arterio Morris kind of leads that. Um, you know, one of the big roster changes here early on in the season. But outside of that, man, this team looks really good. Obviously, preseason AP number one, Ken Palm number two, right behind Purdue, um, and uh, yeah, just a, a lot of thing, a lot of you know, good upside to look at. Obviously, bringing in the number one transfer in the portal in Hunter Dickinson, um, he's working with Dewan Harris, who is just a an unbelievable pass first point guard. Um, you bring in some other transfers, Nick Timberlake, um, you know, to note there, you know, really really good shooter. Kevin McCullers back, great defensive specialist, and KJ Adams. That's kind of the expected starting five there. Um, depth has been a concern, of course, um, as it always is. So it'll be interesting to see how the Jayhawks get off to the start, uh, or you know, get off to kind of start the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, preseason Big Twelve favorites, um, and really no surprises there. But Graham, I'm gonna ask you, who who do you think can challenge? I mean, I think there's the obvious ones, um, but you know, and everybody's gonna name off. You know, can kind of list off those obvious ones, but who, legitimately, who do you think a challenge for a share, or even to to knock Kansas off their pedestal here in the in the Big Twelve this year? Um, I think the the one that everyone's going to talk about because there's a lot of buzz about them is uh, Houston. Um, yeah, absolutely. Houston has a tough case of you know you're going to conference up, but they were so good in the American, and they're bringing a very um, well-balanced team back. Um, Xavier has a look at them pretty early on, so Big 12 fans can kind of get a good taste about what they'll be like. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that their ceiling is really high. Texas is obviously really high after a good good, um, playoff run last year, and uh, bringing him back. Max Asmus is a big question mark in my opinion, but I think if you get what you want out of him, he can be very, very good for you guys, um, for the Texas guys. No, um, and I don't think that there will be much like big, big 12 title contention, but one team that I'm, you know, really hoping can piece it together is Oklahoma. Um, I think a lot of college basketball fans like fell in love with Porter Moser 
And I just think that we're all kind of waiting for to see, like, can you get out of the moratorium? And I think there, this season, you know, there's ability to. I, You know, I haven't seen their schedule, um, but I know that there are some worse teams in the Big 12 this year. Um, just because you your worst team no longer isn't um, who finished last, West Virginia and Oklahoma State, or I think it was Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State just wasn't playing for anything last year. Um, yeah, I think that uh, Oklahoma won't, you know, win the Big 12, but I think that they'll compete for a tournament spot this year. And I think that this is Porter Moser's, like, year to decide, is this my level or do I need to, you know, take a step back and he takes, like, a – he takes – Yeah, kind of like, kind of like a – Kind of like a shock of smart deal, yeah, right? Yeah, like, exactly. And, and not that that's, that's the exact like level of comparison, but, I mean, we all saw shock of smart got in a little bit over his head um, at Texas, unfortunately, but then stepped down to Marquette, and obviously it's it's going great. So I think that's a really good point. Um, I, I got all my eyes on Houston. Um, picking up LJ Cryer from Baylor, um, interesting. That's always going to be fun, especially now that they're kind of cross-state rivals. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think Houston – you know, I think Baylor's up there as well. Of course, they always are. Scott Drew um, has always put together some really good uh, teams. The return of Jalen Bridges, Bridges there is is super exciting to watch. Um, and yeah, Texas is just loaded, man. Like I, I was, you know, Graham, you and I were texting privately about this a couple weeks ago. Texas is loaded. Tyrese Hunter, Max A. Smith, Dylan DeSue. I mean, you've just got some really, really good players there. But again. Now we're looking at you know Rodney Terry in his first and a half year. I mean, really his first full year as the head coach at Texas. Can he put it together? You know, and I think they gave him that extension, well deserved after a good tournament run last year um, to the Elite Eight. But I am just really, really interested to see um, if they can put it together. Uh, and then my other big, you know, one of my other big storylines I want to I want to talk about is Kansas State. Does it? Does it continue? Can they maintain? I, I really like TCU. I think, you know, I think I kind of listed my top four teams there. I think those are the four title contenders, realistically. I probably like TCU after that. I just think TCU is an unbelievably difficult team to play against, always. Um, Jamie Dixon is an unbelievable coach. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm glad he's found a home there in Fort Worth. Um, and then, yeah, I just think that this TCU team, you know, is really difficult to play against, uh, you know, both at home and on the road. Um, but then Kansas State, you know, do we think they do we think they continue, um, you know, with a lot of success? Obviously, they pick, picked up Creighton transfer Arthur Kaluma. Um, you know, Graham, do you think they're are they contending for a title this year, or is it are they kind of just that, eh, you know, mid level Big Twelve team that like probably make the tournament, get somewhere from like a six to ten seed somewhere in there? Um, what do you expect out of the Wildcats this year? Um. They were so, so good last year that I think it's hard for me to, like, say without a doubt that they'll be just as good. Um, And I think for the the top teams in, you know, the Big 12 that are competing for, you know, titles and, you know, that uh, Big 12 tournament run, introducing Houston into the mix is not that good because it was already very difficult. Um, And I think... You know those top four or five teams you know, that did really well in the Big Twelve. One of them has to drop, and I think Kansas State yeah. is one of those teams because um, they did lose um, their point guard. Why am I blanking on his name? Marquis. Yeah, you, you, he was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he was the catalyst for so many of their big games, especially in the tournament. 
um, and on those big road games in the Big 12 that uh, you know more than anyone are extremely difficult. And who knows, you know, maybe someone can step up for them. I think Jerome Tang is a great coach and great leader that um, he provides you with a lot of, you know, uh, courage and, you know, willpower and, you know, take on big teams. But I just think that if there's a team to drop out of the, you know, the tops of the top with the introduction of Houston, I think that Kansas State is one of those teams compared to a Texas, a Kansas, um, a Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another sneaky team, um, I think is, uh, I think is Texas Tech. Um, Graham McCaslin obviously, um, is, you know, just a really a phenomenal coach, um, that, that's coming in, you know, to a new program. Um, is a phenomenal coach that's coming into a new program, uh, and nothing. All right, we're back. All right, sorry about that. Little technical difficulty there. Um, but yeah, basically, what I was saying, Graham, you finished up with K State. Uh, Texas Tech, I think, is an interesting team to look at. Grant McCaslin uh, coming in. I know, you know, Graham, you were telling me that one of our North North Texas transfers uh, at Xavier was saying, you know, talking about how much he loved him, how much he loved that uh, program uh, there in North Texas. So I think McCaslin. First year, you know, give him a little time, but I, I do really like the direction that that, um, that Texas Tech team has pointed. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the headliner addition is, is Houston, but, you, you know, Cincinnati, BYU could be sneaky teams to kind of be around that that bubble um, that, that bubble conversation. Um, but our, one of our favorites, uh, Butler Seamus Lukosius, is now over in Clifton. So I, I think he's just, we've talked about, it, I think he's on that, the, the Xavier hate program. Um, you know, maybe he'll end up at, you know, a, a, a Villanova or something, you know, before the end of his career, who knows? Um, but yeah, so definitely interested to see, obviously West Virginia down at the bottom, unfortunately for them, because you know, Kirk Creesa, Jesse Edwards, Raekwon battle, they brought in some really, really good transfers. Um, but obviously following the, the exit of, of West Virginia, bringing in a coach who literally has no, uh, head coaching experience. And then obviously just a, a really really odd um you know a really odd summer and a really you know i don't know i just i i don't know what you would expect from the team um and i think they would be probably picked to be dead last in the big 12 if ucf wasn't also in the big 12 now um and we were kind of joking having this conversation but i just don't even know if they ever really um compete in the big 12 for a for a conference title obviously graham you know you made a good point you said they're not in the Big 12 to compete for conference titles. They're in the Big 12 to make the tournament, um, which I think is a really good point. Obviously, Johnny Dawkins still there, um, you know, a couple good years recently. But, um, yeah, we'll see what the future looks like for them. Um, and I think those are kind of the big storylines there in the Big 12. Um, and, yeah, Graham, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, where, where are we headed next? Um, we're heading to the Atlantic Coast, going to the ACC. Um Maybe the most overrated basketball conference in the in the country last year. Yeah, and I I don't I I think we might be saying the same thing. Um, I think there'll <laughs> be a lot of like Pac-12 praise, and that's who they would be competing with for that last spot um, yeah. this year because you know it's the last year of the Pac-12 pretty much. Um, and I think that the ACC um, won't be uh, anything to write home about, but. 
with that being said, there are some talking points um, with some of the, you know, more fabled um, programs in this conference still. Um, right off the bat, uh, talking about, um, you know, Duke, John Shire um, is back after a pretty decent year last year, and I think his biggest um, his biggest storyline, in my opinion, was the fact that he was able to bring back Proctor, Roach, Filipowski, and Mark Mitchell. They were unbelievable yeah. last year, and you're giving them a whole another year um, of experience while also adding a very good recruiting class um, yeah, that absolutely. Shire um, kind of has a big benefit um, amongst the other newer coaches um, across the board is that he has you know the brotherhood and he has the Duke brand behind him. And we talked about, you know, as soon as he was hired, I, you know, remember being on this podcast talking about John Shire and wondering if um, he was going to be able to, you know, keep the Duke legacy around. And I think that amazing recruiting class definitely did because these are his guys. You know, these are the guys that he was going um, to visit. You know, they're bringing in um, for official and unofficial visits. Like these are his recruits. And he did an amazing job. Uh, Jared McCain. Um, one of the bigger names in this recruiting class and also adding um, some other guys to round out the rotation. Um, I think Duke wasn't that deep that last season. And then you bring in, um, you know, some big names in in the uh, recruiting class. I think that Duke is levels above anyone else. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think Filipowski could be a bad boy this year. <laughs> He's yeah. going to be a problem. Yeah. And right there, um, North Carolina had a very shocking season last year. Um, yeah. And I think it's unfair to compare them to those two things of, you know, being in the national championship and comparing them to um, uh, where they were last season. I don't think that either of those are likely scenarios for this season. But they have a very, very good season, uh, team. Armando Baycott will contend for um, some high-level awards this season. I don't think he wins ACC Player of the Year just because Filipowski is still there. Um, but you bring in uh, Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame, who was one of their best players last season on a lackluster team. I think if you put him in a better environment, he's going to shine. Harrison Ingram um, from Stanford was one of the best scorers in the transfer portal. And you get both of those guys while also bringing in um, the one of the best point guards um, and just prospects overall, a top 12 prospect in, in the country, Elliot Cadu, um, to replace um, Caleb Love. Um, I think that they've done really well in you know, rebuilding this team after realizing that last year just wasn't a good mix. Um, yeah. You could tell pretty early on that they had some chemistry issues, the way they were talking about each other in the press. Um, I think that they have a very, very good team. Um, I just don't think that their ceiling is the same as Duke's ceiling. And for predictions, that's usually what I go off of. Um, Like, who can play the best? What are you getting the most out of? And I just think that Duke on their day is levels above what North Carolina could be. Um, Further down... um, Looking at um, Miami, 
Miami was very good, and you you lose Jordan Miller and Isaiah Wong. Um, but they also, you know, they had a very deep and talented team that was scoring a lot. And I think that had a lot to do with Jim Laranega, less with the players. And I think that um, he's a very, very good coach that with the right guys, he can do a lot of um, really successful things. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished better than North Carolina this year. Um, they're going to give Duke a run for their money, but I still think that this is Duke's like conference to uh, lose. I think all the conferences that we've talked about so far, I think that uh, the ACC is the most chalk on who's going to win. Um, yeah. And I think that the reason why we're going to talk about um, the ACC being so poor is because the bottom feeders of this conference – um, you're not getting a lot out of. Uh, Syracuse no. is a new head coach. Um, Pitt is losing a lot, and they, um, you know, I think they exceeded expectations last year. Uh, you're losing a lot. Syracuse is a new head coach. Boston College hasn't been good since whatever. Um, <laughs> they recently, I just saw this. What they, did you say since whatever or since ever? <laughs> whatever. Um, they reached the NCAA tournament in 2009. Um, I was wow, start, I was starting first grade. How long did that grade. take you to find? <laughs> um, Georgia Tech is interesting. Um, you, new head coach, that's always fun. Uh, Damon Stoudemire. I was like, going to say, I couldn't even remember if, if Pastor was still there or not. Yeah. Um, Bringing Damon Stoudemire, I mean, that's an NBA guy. Um, uh, and I think, you know, that's more interesting than, you know, what Boston College might do ever. <laughs> um, Louisville, it would be hard for them to be as bad. Um, Man, yeah, like, is Louisville, like, what? Like, where, where are we going with this? Yeah. Um, and one thing that I'm completely disagreeing with is Notre Dame, across the board, seems to be one of the bottom feeders. I think that Micah Shrewsbury. I knew knew you were going to be in on this. I think Micah Shrewsbury is brilliant. He has a really tough job year one. Um, Year one at a team that was not good last year. Yeah, that is a very, very tough um, situation for them. But I will say that um, I'm taking Notre Dame's ceiling over Louisville, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Syracuse's, like maybe even Pittsburgh. And. while that isn't saying much in the ACC to be, you know, a 10, be in 10th place, I still think right. that um, Micah Shrewsbury was really good last year, um, and he gets his guys to play the way he wants to play. Um, and I'm really confident that they're, they're going to do something more than finish last in the ACC. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, let's turn it over. Uh, let's head all the way out west now, um, Pac-12, and then we'll kind of wrap it up with some other notes and headlines and then we'll get it back to to Graham for the Big East and the and the Musketeer minute wrap up at the end. Um Pac-12 I think it's a shocker kind of like it is most years it's a two man race uh, or two horse race it's going to be you know between Arizona and USC this year instead of UCLA. We do sub out one of the LA teams I think Mick Cronin really has his work cut out for him this year. Um Wildcats are are a very solid team they do pick up uh, Caleb Love from the transfer portal interesting, you know, connection there, like we were saying, you know, has a, he's clearly had a lot of, um, you know, issues within within the team uh, at, at uh, excuse me, at North Carolina. Um, 
so interested to see what happens there. Obviously, Umar Bayo is back for Arizona. Um, and yeah, despite the loss from Princeton, I still really like this Arizona team. Um, and then USC, of course, is kind of a co-headline here. I think it's interesting. Um, if you're a true like college basketball fan, um, Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier is your headline there. Like these are this is gonna be one of the best backcourts in America. Um, if you're an outside, you know, if you're an outside uh, college basketball fan. Uh, you're going to see that name, Bronny James, on that roster and say, whoa, hold on, isn't that LeBron's son? Um, and so, yes, I think that there's that there's a lot going on with that. Obviously, um, Bronny had the, the off-season uh, health issue with the cardiac arrest during summer practice. Um, don't know if he's going to play. Don't know if he's going to appear. Don't know if he's you know doing full practices or anything like that. Um you know, his father LeBron obviously did say that he that he is trying to play this season. Um, you know, do we think he's going to be a huge impact player? I don't know. I don't even know that he's really expected to be a starter. Um, but obviously, it would be a, a depth boost at the least um, for USC. Be interesting to see which way they go. Again, like I said, Cronin's got his work cut out for him, and then Colorado is making a lot of noise, um, being seen as you know a a. a, a um, as someone that that could you know sneaky you know sneaky dark horse contend, uh, you know bringing in TCU big man Eddie Lampkin is like the biggest headline there, I, you know as a Big Twelve guy I know that he is a problem uh, to defend so I'm interested to see um, you know how how he is handled in the Pac-12 in a in a not as physical league as the Big Twelve I would say so I'm interested to see if some of those big guys can can handle the size of Lampkin so I'm really interested to see what the Buffaloes do. Um, and then, you know, obviously, we, we've had this conversation. We've had multiple podcasts about realignment. What's the future of the Pac-12? None of us really know. Um, they've been talking about a scheduling alliance, I've heard this week, uh, trying to schedule, you know, it, it, with the Mountain West. But it looks like it might be a two-team conference next year just with Oregon State and Washington State while they realistically try and get, um, you know, <laughs> some of these Mountain West teams to, to join. Um, or try and make some sort of alliance with the Mountain West. Who, who knows what's going to happen there? Um, but definitely some interesting stuff there. Graham, anything else that you really want to highlight or, or you know take note of in the Pac-12? I think that USC is very, very good. Um, <coughs> I, I like what they did last year, and I think that they just couldn't get over the hump. They had a bad draw playing Michigan State in the first round. Um, and even after that, that's always a tough draw, man. Anytime you get Michigan State as like a six to ten seed in the in the tournament, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, and even if they, you know, snuck out a game against Tom Izzo in March, they had Marquette waiting for them. That was a better team on right. paper. Um, they had a rough draw last year, but I think that they are a lot better this year. Um, and I really just, I'm kind of excited, you know, to see what the Pac-12 does this year. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of media attention on them to, you know, who's going to do what. Um, right. It's like, a, you know, it's like a, a final send-off. This is like a last call, um, and all the guys are stumbling towards the bar right now. Um, yeah. And, like, who knows? Like, like, just to say something crazy, like maybe Washington had one too many and, like, they bump shoulders with the pretty girl at the bar and end up going home with her. Like, I don't know what right. what's going to happen with some of those teams. Um, well, but, it's Colorado, that team. I mean, I think they're the ones that are getting the run early on in the season. I think Utah is another one you got to take a long look at. 
Um, but yeah, I agree. I think there's some sneaky, some sneaky storylines here. Yeah, and as long as Oregon has Dana Altman, I'll take them over most teams in that conference. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. So, um, yeah, interested to see what the what the, what this final year of the of the Pac-12 looks like. Obviously, you know, our, our thoughts are with uh, with Bill Walton as uh, this you know maybe his final year of you know covering things, which for some people might be you know might be uh, the right way to send it off, but. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of how he how he handles all of his emotions and his broadcast yeah. this year. Can't wait can't wait to see that. So, I wonder if he even knows he, about realignment. Yet. Yeah, you're right. He might he might be you know he might still be out you know enjoying his festival summer. You know we haven't come to college basketball season yet, so you're right. He may may be unaware still. Yeah, I can't um, wait for it to be like you know first game. You know USC's playing Oregon and like Oregon has like a really good young player and he goes you know Oregon. You know their ceiling's high. They might win the Pac-12 next year. And I just, yeah, I right. can't. I can't wait for that. Can't wait to hear that one drop on there. That'll be good. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. We got a couple other headlines outside of the Big Six conferences, um, and a couple other big headlines to hit on as well. We'll start real briefly. And Graham and I were having this conversation before we hopped on, but I think there's a legitimate case to be made. Is it Gonzaga? Or is it FAU? Graham, where do you sit on this? You know, as as a top team outside of the Power Six um, debate. Um, I think that um, we we talked a little bit about this before that the the gap between Gonzaga and the other teams is kind of you know getting a little bit smaller. But I will still take you know Mark Few with Nemhar Graham Ek um, over most teams in that conference. I think they're going to farm a lot of games that will be a little bit more difficult for FAU to farm um, in their conference. Um, and I think that is the sole reason why. Gonzaga will have a better season um, because I think that, you know, when you get to play, you know, Pepperdine and um, Loyola Marymount, which Loyola Marymount gave them a run for their money last year, um, I I still think that, you know, Gonzaga has a little bit of an easier run than FAU does, even though um, FAU had so much success last year and brings back a lot of those guys. I think Dusty May um, will have a lot of attention on him right now uh, because – you know, he said that he's going to be an FAU guy for a while, but when you're that good of a coach and you bring an FAU team to an unbelievable record and then you go to the Final Four, you, he exceeded expectations so many times last season that um, he's going to have a lot of attention uh, in the coaching carousel next summer. So I think um, FAU will be a big storyline this season, but I still think that Gonzaga has uh, has the edge over them right now. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I would agree. I think that, you know, we were talking about, I mean, they're they're playing a Gonzaga-level non-conference schedule as well, so I think it's going to be really difficult. Um, there are a couple more farm games now with the with the combination of them and the, and the Conference USA, so, you know, teams like Charlotte, um, you know, North Texas with a new head coach, you know, Rice, um, and, and not to disrespect any of these teams or these, these programs, but it's just it's a big step to step into this American um, and I think Florida Atlantic will have a chance to kind of farm some of those games, but I agree, um, nothing on the level of Gonzaga. Although, you know, and it is worth noting, we're talking about Gonzaga, without talking about the preseason favorite in the WCC, which I can't remember the last time it wasn't Gonzaga. Um, I don't know that I was even alive yet, um, but it is uh, it is St. Mary's this year. Um, you know, teams like them, San Diego State, also probably a, a safe pick for a tournament team. And then a couple other teams just to note. I mean, we got Memphis is always getting preseason buzz, especially sitting in the American there. 
Uh, Dayton, of course, again, I, Graham and I kind of had this conversation earlier, but I, I will always say I just got to see it. Um, I do believe that Dayton has a great basketball program up there, um, and we're just kind of waiting to see it. But it hasn't been the same since the Miller day, since the RT Miller days. And, uh, yeah, interested to see if they kind of follow through on expectations. Because we heard a lot of this last year, too, was, oh, well, Dayton's really going to be the surprise team, you know, out of the Atlantic 10. And the Atlantic 10 was horrible last year. Um, yeah. So hopefully they can kind of be a, a – you know, someone to help pick up, um, pick that conference back up and, and, you know, get it to be competitive again. Cause I, I love watching Atlantic basketball. I think there's some really fun teams in there. Um, I know I'm talking to my, my resident Davidson expert here. Um, but really, I mean, I think them and VCU and Richmond and Rhode Island, there's some really, really good teams. There was some good, uh, you know, some good history and some good programs that just have kind of been bang average for the last few years. Um, and I think Dayton can really lead that charge and help bring them back. Uh, and then of course, I got to give a shout out to my favorite conference, you know, maybe in all of college basketball in the Mountain West. I think New Mexico, again, the Lobos, uh, they're going to be back again this year. I think Boise State could be, you know, sneaky competitive as well. So I think there's definitely a couple of teams out of there that we'll be looking at uh, as NCAA tournament qualifiers here come the end of the season. Um, and then the last few headlines, really, that we got to wrap up with, uh, we do have to take note Kansas uh, did finally get their uh, IARP decision. Um, and thank goodness that is the end of the IARP for good. I think all of college basketball is excited to see that. Um, and now, you know, NCA will be handling all violations in-house. Um, so definitely interested to see how those uh, continue going forward because we know that we will have some in the future. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, you end up losing, well, I think it was 16 or 18 wins for the Jayhawks. And you do lose that Final Four banner, um, which is – Sure, difficult for you know some all-time records and things like that um, for some fans that, that truly care about that. I know there's also at least a side of Kansas fans that, I mean, that was the Final Four that Kansas got waxed by Villanova in the Final Four. Um, that was the, what was that, DiVincenzo year when he put up like 30 in the first half or just something ridiculous. I think, I want to say Nova hit like, I think they hit 11 threes in the first half. Like it was something just dumb. Uh so, yeah, Kansas fans, I think, for the most part, are like, yeah, sure, I could forget about that game. I don't really have a problem with it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some debate there. Um, it is kind of unfortunate because that was also one of the best Elite Eight games uh, I've ever been a part of or, or seen was that Kansas-Duke game leading into that. Um, that was the final game of Grayson Allen's career. Just a lot of great storylines in that one. Um, but, yeah, so, the, so obviously those wins are vindicated. Uh, or not vindicated, excuse me. They are vacated. Um and, and we'll see. You know, I, I don't think that anyone's too upset uh, or really all that surprised by that. Uh, and then John Shire, of course, for Duke, speaking of, uh, a, a six-year extension for him. Um, and, and I think, Graham, like you were saying earlier, they just seem to be miles ahead of everyone else in the ACC this year. And so I think they kind of rewarded him for getting him to that point and putting him in a comfortable spot. Obviously, we're going to have to see him deliver again this year. But it looks like Shire and Duke are just going to roll kind of as expected since the the, the Krzyzewski change. Um, obviously you're going to need a year or two to kind of, you know, roll through some of those growing pains, but of course, you know, eventually it is just going to all, uh, you know, water's going to find its level and Duke's going to be good again. So, um, all right, we'll turn it to you, Graham, uh, big East, let's, let's wrap it up and, uh, and talk about, you know, our, our home conference for this, for this final, uh, final segment. Yeah. I mean, anytime you read anything or watch anything about, um, college basketball, the big East is always brought up about, um, how competitive is going to be, and I think it's you know it's the exact same as every everyone's saying. 
Um, preseason favorite is Marquette, and deservingly so. They're bringing back nearly all of their production from last season. Um, and you're losing uh, uh, Prosper, but you're replacing him with your six-man Joplin, who is unbelievable. Like, um, they do not have much of a drop-off. Um, and their mindset, um, you know, last season... When the coaches poll came out, they were projected ninth. Tyler Kolick at Media Day says F them, and they go on to win the conference um, and then win the conference uh, tournament and flare out in, in March Madness. But I think that, you know, their identity, the way they approach things um, last season was a very, you know, good example of um, the mentality of this team. But then you look at it from a different perspective. It's like this year, like the pressure's on them to do well. Um, last year, like they were exceeding expectations. You know, you know, proving everyone wrong. It's going to be a little bit more difficult now that you know they're the team to beat. They're going to be the team that people circle on their calendar. Those games are going to be even more difficult that they already are in the Big East. Um, but I still think that um, their levels above the other teams. Um, and then I think there's three teams that are going to contend with them. Um, one being UConn. UConn lost some of um, their bigger guys um, last year from last season. But, you know, you bring back Caravan, Newton, and Klingon. I'm not unsure about what Klingon's injury is going to look at look like. But they I think had, they were projecting like two months-ish, but obviously that can, that can change. Yeah, uh, but they had an unbelievable um, uh, recruiting and transfer portal season. Uh, bringing in Cam Spencer um, and Stephen Castle. Uh, Castle was uh, chosen as um, you know newcomer of the year um, in in the Big East, which is not something to be um, chosen lightly. And then you look at uh, Villanova. Villanova has a very similar team from last season, and I think Neptune's a really good coach. He obviously proved it at Fordham and he's been at Villanova for a long time as a um, support staff and assistant. Um, I think that they are going to be very, very good. They were extremely competitive in every game that they finished and they were 500 um, last season. And I think that they're going to be a lot better just because you're giving Kyle Neptune one more year at the helm while still keeping a lot of his guys. Um, It would have been very difficult for him. You know, this is my second season and you have a completely new team. Uh, like some of the teams that we're going to see um, in the Big East. And the fact that he can keep his guys and build off um, his his philosophy and his play style is an extreme benefit as a second-year coach to um, kind of run it back with the same guys. Um, and then I think it's like, um, you know, Marquette and then UConn, Creighton, um, and Nova. Creighton's right there bringing back a lot of their uh, main guys um, and they bring in one of the best transfers in the Big East, in my opinion, and Stephen Ashworth from Utah State. He was lights out last season, um, and yeah, I think he might he might be he might be Baylor Shireman all over again. Yeah, and I think that he's going to be more consistent than Nemhard was last season. And um, you know, Creighton was a play away from making the Final Four last season. They were so close; they had such a tremendous season um, last year. And I think that they are going to be just as good, if not better. Um, and then I think in our tier three, you have you know Xavier, Providence, and St. John's. Um, 
St. John's. No, no love, no love for Georgetown. No, none at all. <laughs> um, St. John's, you know, brings in one of the best coaches of all time, in Rick Pitino, um, with a completely new team, uh, one returnee. Um, Sweet, which, that's so awesome. Which is just insane. It's <laughs> um, unbelievable. And I, th- I think that he can really, really coach. And um, this is like a Coach Prime esque situation. Yeah, right? no, it's very similar. Um, and I think that there's a lot of pressure uh, because you know St. John's wants to get back to what they used to be, and also Rick Pitino wants to you know. God, he wants to win games so bad. He want he wants to you know cement um, his legacy. I think you know, yeah. the, and then I think he wants to throw the the double birds to the NCA and ride off into the sunset on the way out. Like yes. really, I, he's out here to prove a point. Yeah, you know he had you know the terrible terrible scandal um, that he was a part of um, <coughs> at Louisville, and then he goes to Greece, and then I at Iona, which no one really cared about, like. No one knew a player on Iona's team. They just knew it was Rick Pitino's Hey, they team. were sneaky, though. They were sneaky. <laughs> um, and now he's at, you know, a storied program, and he, he wants to right his wrongs, and I think they're, they're going to play with a lot of fire because of him. Providence I'm not extremely high on. Um, it's a pretty new team, um, and you're bringing in a lot of, like, former George Mason guys um, with their new coach, Kim English. I think he has a really, really tough job this season. Um and I don't think that George Mason, you know, being my a uh, little bit of an A10 fan myself, was ever like that good. Um, so it's going to be hard for me to like completely, um, you know, buy into them. I just think that Providence is better than you know Butler, DePaul, Seton Hall uh, by far. So I think that that's why they finish in my tier three. Um, and Xavier. Um, you know, you know the Xavier fan in me. You know, wants to put them really high. Um, yeah. And I do think when you have Sean Miller and you bring in a lot of really talented players, freshmen and transfers alike, um, you can do um, pretty much anything. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have a completely new team in an extremely hard conference, and you have um, the most freshmen on any power conference roster. I, wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. And I'm someone that's like tuned in to Xavier basketball, and I did not yeah. catch that stat. So that, it, it, that's interesting. Seven, I mean, seven is the most. There's a, yeah. multiple teams with seven, but that that is the most in any power conference program. Um, so there are a lot of things that um, point you to say, oh, yeah, this is just not the year. They won't be able to you know, finish second like they did last year. But at the same time, man, I think I think with that with Sean Miller, like I just think yeah. that that is your your floor is so high. Like it's, I think like you're talking about that tier two, three, whatever you want to call it. Like if you got so you got Marquette and your conference contenders, and then that next tier down, I think that's kind of the floor for Xavier. And hope I hope that I'm obviously not, you know, speaking out of my behind here and and saying something ridiculous. But I, I do think that really you're you're not going to finish up much worse than that. Yeah, exactly. I think that you look at the things that are holding them back, being a completely new team, multiple injuries, and being in a tough conference. You also like you look at like what like the um, ceiling is, and you bring in 
three unbelievable players that are going to play a lot of minutes for you, and you have seven talented freshmen that are all trying to play. And Des Claude, um, the games that, you I'm, know... I'm so high on Des this year. <laughs> yeah, the games that he, you know, came in with fire, played great defense, and hit big shots when, you know, when he was giving you 8, 10, 12 points... That UConn game was electric last yeah, year on the, the road. Yes, those the games where he came to play and showed his like signs of stardom um, were Xavier's best games. And yeah. if you can turn to him to be a consistent guy, um, and he is that guy, and you everyone else does their part, I think that they are right up there with the Creightons, the Novas, the Yukons. Um, yeah. And I don't think that there's anything that um is really holding them back other than um the doubt right now. Um and Georgetown I'm not high on Ed Cooley in year one. Um even if they did Do you well th- in the it's but I mean how long until like realistically how long until they're in the tournament? Like I don't think it's that long. No, I it honestly could be this year. The Big East yeah. is so good you scrape together some big wins like do well yeah. in the tournament. Like I think I think it's very, very, very plausible. But um, absolutely, what, what do we think about Seton Hall? I I was um, down on Shaheen last year, and I just think that um, I I don't think that they can do it in this conference just because of like I, I completely agree. <laughs> even if they play really well, I don't think that they are better than Georgetown, Xavier, Providence, anyone. Um, and it's very hard. To there's no easy games in this conference. No, there like, are not. Xavier was unbelievable last year and won seven Big East road games, and the three losses were to the team that won the conference and Butler and DePaul, who finished last, <laughs> which is so unbelievable. <laughs> like it's a extremely difficult feat to you know win games in the Big East, and yeah. I don't think that there's any like free wins <clears throat> ever, and that's why you know the DePauls, the Butlers, Georgetown, Seton Hall. Like I can't really like praise them for individual success just because like where are they going to win games, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and then and then no surprises from Butler to Paul. We think it's just going to be kind of same old, same old there. Yeah, I think Butler will be more competitive this year, uh, bringing in Ponch mm-hmm. Alexander one more year with Thad Mata. But um, I still think that it's very, very, very tough for them. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, well, thank you, Graham. This has been a, a fun hour. Gosh, so, so excited to get back to this. Um, but, yeah, we'll be back here in probably a couple weeks, and, and we'll recap the first week or so of College Hoops and get back to kind of our normal weekly schedule. Um, I think what we figured out for Graham and I, and obviously this is going to you know be fluid, but it's looking like Wednesday mornings in the in the U.S. time are going to kind of be the time that typically work best. Obviously, that changes here and there. Um, but those are typically going to be the times where we'll have our, our best opportunity to record and or Monday mornings in the U.S. So um, we'll get it all locked in here you know, moving forward. But, yeah, be, be ready to expect those once-a-week pods here coming up in a couple weeks once we get the season underway. Um, but, yeah, Gavit Games. I mean, Gavit Games are three weeks out. Like, are you kidding me? We're going to have, like, top 10, top 15 matchups coming up here pretty quick. So can't absolutely cannot wait for that. Um, ton of good games to look forward to. And, yeah, the season is – is right around the corner. So Graham, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and thank you all, you know, to all the listeners. Thank you all for, for checking in and, uh, and yeah, it's time to, time to get rolling again, man. I'm, I'm super exciting. Any closing thoughts here? No, just, uh, to reiterate what you said, it's super exciting to be back and I'm looking forward to, you know, 
being less than two weeks away. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again all for for stopping by and listening. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all again here in a couple of weeks. Cheers. Catch you soon.